welcome to this week's episode of The Leadership Lane. I hope you have had a really great week so far. In today's episode, we're going to be looking at coaching as a mode of leadership and what would happen if we really relied on this mode more so than other modes of leadership. At the moment, I'm working with a team and I am facilitating the Leader as Coach program for them. And so we've been having some fantastic conversations about what does the coaching mode in leadership look like? How can I become more of a coach in my leadership style? And so with this team, what they've been very focused on is culture. And what's the culture that they're trying to create by relying upon coaching as a mode of leadership? They've realized from different experiences that they've brought in to the organization and from experiences that they've had within the organization that their culture needs a bit of a tweak. What got them here is not necessarily going to get them to that next step. Now, this organization has some particular scrutiny on them. They're they're doing very well. And I'm not sure if this is something that is limited to the Australian culture or not, which is where I'm from and where I'm recording this podcast. But there is something in our culture, which is, you know, we don't, we don't like what we often refer to as the tall poppies. But if anybody is standing out, if there is an organisation or an individual that perhaps is really basking in success and, uh, and smashing it, for want of a, a better term, for a colloquialism, I guess, in the Australian language, in the Australian lingo, we tend to really scrutinise it and we tend to really think about uh, why. Uh, we don't always necessarily celebrate it. I think having said that, we are getting better uh, culturally around celebrating the tall poppies, but there still is that, that scrutiny, if you like, and certainly that interest and that curiosity about how and, and why. So with this particular organisation, they certainly fit into that category. The market is looking at them, you know, and looking at their success and uh, and asking why and wanting to, if they can, um, pull them down, you know, a rung or two. So this organisation is very focused on their culture and they understand that they've had very quick growth and fairly quick succession into, you know, some really high levels of achievement. But they understand that what got them there is not going to get them to the next level uh, that they and where they want to aspire and to be to. So what do they need to do? They have been focused on their culture. And in terms of culture, as we know, it's very much about changing course and direction, but it's a little bit like moving the Titanic. It can appear to be so big and so insurmountable that moving culture can seem like an impossible task. So where the efforts of this organisation are, are around leadership style and that culture really is the energy that exists within the organization. It's the understanding of this is the way we do things around here and and this is the way we roll in this organization. But we know that that is heavily influenced by the people in an organization, leaders, employees, interactions that occur between leaders and employees, but interactions that also occur between employee and employee. We know that that all exists. So this organization is really thinking about particularly leadership, And particularly in in this transformation of their culture or transformation is probably too strong a word, but, but changing and tweaking that culture, what do they need to do? 
So they've focused and decided to focus on coaching as one of their prime modes of leadership and one that they really want to rely upon. And very quickly, working with 15 of their leaders, what is apparent is that some of them are instinctively relying on that coaching mode in leadership and some are not. Now, this largely depends on the experience that they have had as leaders, the way that they have been led, and also culturally what's occurring in different parts of the organisation. So some of them are gravitating more towards this notion of coaching and leadership, and some of them, I guess, are curious about the differences that it will bring and what it can actually achieve if they do move more into that coaching space. So we have been very focused on what does coaching in leadership look like? And the Leader as Coach program goes into this in extensive detail. But today I wanted to give you an insight into the model, the Leader as Coach model, and I wanted to talk to you about, in particular, high-impact communication. So the model has four components, ask, calibrate, empathize and support and it is also known as the ACEs model. So in the ask phase what we're encouraging leaders to do is go in with a very open mind and a curiosity, an understanding of learning about the problem at hand and not being so quick to judge. We know that as humans we make judgments really quickly. It is within our makeup within our evolution, I guess, as a species, we judge so we can determine whether there is a threat or whether we're in fact safe. So when we ask leaders in particular and when they are in that position of authority and when we say to them, ask rather than judge, it can be quite difficult to do that, particularly when you feel that you are in a position to ask to, or to judge rather, rather than ask because you are in that leadership role. But we know that leaders with better engagement results and certainly leaders that have teams with a higher level of performance will certainly be quite open, have a curious mindset, have a thirst for knowledge and have a desire to learn as opposed to know. Now, Fred Kaufman in his book, Conscious Business, refers to this distinction between knower and learner. And in the coaching mode, I encourage leaders to really develop this, I guess, ability to be able to learn rather than to know. Now, one really quick way that we can do this is just about being very mindful of our language. So rather than using language which could be perceived by others as a judgment or as a knowledge statement or an absolute or something quite authoritarian, if we're mindful of our language and we're thinking about openness and a desire to learn and curiosity and understanding intent, we can make some adaptations to whether we judge or whether we in fact go in with that curiosity mindset. So that's the first one, ask. The second stage in the ACEs model is calibrate. Now in calibrate, we are relying upon all of our senses to make sure that we have a full picture in terms of the issue that we're looking at. So if we're only relying on one or two of our senses, we're unlikely 
to get a full picture. But if we're relying on everything, if we're relying on what we can see, what we're hearing, what we're sensing, what we're feeling, and also tapping into what the other person might be thinking, feeling, sensing, saying, hearing, doing, then we're likely to have a much more fuller picture. And from that fuller picture, we're able to better make sense of the situation at hand. So, of course, this circumvents that very quick reaction of judgment and very quickly moving into knowing versus learning. So in calibration, we are pausing, we're reflecting, we're thinking about the data points that we have. And if we have a missing data point, we should go and look for that data point if it is available. But we're really bringing it all together. And from that, we're sense-making. We're taking a, a full picture and then understanding what we can do in a much more fuller way. So that's calibrate. In empathize, we are taking our level of understanding of the individual to another level. I work a lot with empathy maps. And I said to a group that I was working with recently, once you have experience in working your way around an empathy map, it is something that you can literally do within five minutes, not even. You don't even have to really write or draw anything up. There will be the prompts from the empathy map that come and you will be able just to have a think about, well, what is it? the person that I am trying to gain a better understanding of? What are they saying? What are they thinking? What are they doing? And what are they, what are they feeling? And then you might also have a think about their influences. So what's delighting them? What's disappointing them? What do they detest? What are the things that really light them up? What are those things that are influencing their decision-making? Once you've got a picture of that and you've made your way around that empathy map, you're more likely to have a better understanding of the person that you're dealing with, perhaps the person that you are trying to get a better understanding of. We are effectively trying to walk in their shoes. We're trying to understand how it feels to walk in their shoes and what might be some of the issues and the problems and the challenges and the opportunities that they face. And once we've got a better understanding of that, again, we're less likely to form judgments and we are more likely to be tolerant of their situation and more understanding of what they're going through. So this is really important in your teams around building relationships. It helps to build trust. It helps to build respect and mutual respect amongst parties. And it helps to build compassion. And we know that compassionate leadership is where we get engagement, trust, connection, and certainly that, that love for what we do, but also that, that love for each other, you know, from a human to human perspective. So we want to build empathy. And then finally, within the ACEs model, we support. Support can come in all different shapes and sizes. And what I might perceive as supportive may not be what you perceive as supportive. So it's really challenging to guess what supportive looks like unless we ask the person what support looks like for them. So we have, if you imagine going around a circle, we have gone around a circle of ask, calibrate, empathize and support. So when we go to support, we're also then moving back up to ask because we are, and we should be asking the person, how can I support you? How can I help you? 
what would best support you right now? In doing that, we're not assuming, we're not making decisions for other people, and we're not taking people's power away. We are actually empowering them to make a decision around what supportive looks like for them. I had a coaching client last year who was having some issues with a few members of their team. And a common theme that they described to me that they were doing was that when things started to get challenging for their team members, they were inclined to remove a task or remove a project or remove a priority from their team. They were aiming to be supportive and they were aiming to demonstrate that support to their team. However, it wasn't going down so well with their team members. Their team members were becoming frustrated, angry, didn't feel valued, didn't feel trusted to complete the job that they had been assigned to do. So that one action of trying to free someone up to allow them to have more time for whatever reason was actually being misinterpreted and was actually backfiring on this leader. When they could understand that support is very much subjective and through support it's important to continue to empower that individual, they realised that perhaps their intention was being misunderstood and they could see how their team was misunderstanding what was meant to be a really positive and caring intention. From then on, they've changed their language. When they are offering support to one of their team members, they'll commence with a question. And the question could look like, how can I best support you? What can I do for you right now? Is there anything that you need from me right now? What would make things easier for you at the moment? Those very open-ended questions where the person can come back and say, yeah, actually, that would be great. Or, no, I'm all fine, thanks. Whatever it is that they respond with. But it's the very nature of you asking as opposed to presupposing what support they require that's going to build further trust, further respect and further empathy in that relationship. So ask, calibrate, empathise, support effectively is what summarises coaching in leadership and how we can be more effective coaches as we lead. I like to think of coaching in terms of sports team analogies and I know that we, we do this. I guess it's other than a work environment where we operate in teams, we know that for many of us sport is a recreational activity and something that we either participate in or that we like to observe. And there's something quite magical about watching a team perform. One of my most important leadership memories was actually me observing a kitchen in operation. So I was sitting at a bar where it had an open kitchen in a Japanese restaurant in Sydney here in Australia. And I was sitting there on my own. I was in Sydney for work and so I had to grab a quick bite to eat. So I just wandered down from the hotel into the nearest restaurant, which happened to be this gorgeous little Japanese restaurant. 
it was a Wednesday, Thursday night, I think midweek. It was bustling. There was a great vibe, as there often is in Sydney. And I sat at the counter and I observed this kitchen at play. And there really wasn't any audible communication that was happening other than pots and pans and the noise that comes from a kitchen, things cooking away, simmering, frying, all of that kind of noise that I could hear, but I did not observe or hear anybody actually speaking. And when I realized this, I was really surprised. I was taken aback. The kitchen operated so well, really well-renowned restaurant with great reviews and great food and fantastic service. But there wasn't any audible communication that I could hear. Now, is that to say that that team wasn't communicating? No, I don't think so. I think that they were so practised in how they communicated. I think they were so practised in knowing whose job it was to do what, when and how and a really strong trust amongst members of that team, it meant that they didn't need to communicate like we might communicate in other team environments and team settings. If you think about a football field, whether it's AFL, whether it's soccer, whether it's rugby, whatever code it is that you subscribe to or anything different, There's not much audible communication that occurs either. There's lots of sound from the crowd. But if any of you watched a game through the early stages of COVID when games were being played without the crowd, you could hear certain things. You could hear, you know, things from the coaches. But a lot of it is signals and people knowing where to move when. And I'm fascinated by this in terms of high-impact communication. And I'm fascinated by it because in terms of high-performing teams and teams that rely on that coaching method, that method where they are involved in asking, calibrating, empathising, supporting, understanding their goals, understanding their KPIs, what they need to be doing, when and why they need to be doing it, it's a common theme. What you often see is that they rely on those indicators in order to keep their performance up at a certain level. So you'll find that a lot of these sport teams, it could be a kitchen, uh, those high-performing teams rely on a lot of the elements and foundations of coaching in order to remain at a particular level. So if it's not something that you have yet explored in terms of your leadership style, There's some great literature and research out there, get in contact. I can certainly connect you with some of that. But if you start to do any sort of wide reading, you'll see that there is absolute benefit and there is absolute meaning and intent and validity in applying some coaching methods and practices to how you lead your team. And you may surprise yourself with the effort that's actually required from you. It might be lesser effort than if you are managing your team perhaps in a more traditional way right now, maybe through lots of direction and and lots of support and through various levels of leadership and hierarchy and, and those more traditional modes, if you like, of leadership. So that is coaching in leadership and that is, I guess, what coaching in leadership looks like. 
In terms of high impact communication, I will forever have that great memory of that restaurant in Sydney and understanding that high impact communication is not only about what is said, but it's also around how how things are done. And I think when we are communicating with our teams in that coaching mode, or in fact, in any mode, what can we be doing to ensure that we are really thinking about all the various forms of communication that are verbal and nonverbal that our teams are receiving from us when we are in fact in a communication transaction. I think with communication, we often think about the message that we have to provide. And we know that things can get lost in translation big time, particularly uh, in email and in things that are not that are not said. And with hybrid working continuing probably for a while and remote working continuing, there's more of it. We send more emails. We don't have the ability to rely on all of our senses as we would. In fact, one of a participant from a program this week said there are lots of layers that we don't have. And, and these layers that we normally rely upon, such as what we can see, what we can feel, you know, a full visual of body language, a, an understanding of how engaged the person is in terms of the conversation. We can't see any of that necessarily right now. And so it makes it a lot more challenging in terms of high impact communication. One thing that I did talk about with this team this week was three areas to really focus on to make sure that you are engaging in high impact communication. I want to share those with you. So the first one is knowing your audience. Now that's a really obvious one. It's a little bit like knowing your buyer when you've got to sell something to someone. Our audience can be multifaceted. So maybe we have one message to deliver, but it's to a diverse audience. It could be more than one type of stakeholder. And it's really though knowing our audience inside out. So this is where the empathy map connects back in. How well do we know our audience? How well do we know how they're going to receive the message that we are communicating? So knowing your audience is really, really important. And that's where we should start. The second component which is really an important part of high-impact communications, is the message. So what are are the messages? What are the bullet points, if you like? What's the crux of what we're trying to get across to our audience? And I shared an acronym, which was shared with me decades ago now, WIFM, W-I-I-F-M, what's in it for me? And you can swap the M out with a T what's in it for them. When we're creating communications and we're thinking about our audience and we're thinking about our message, the first thing to ask ourselves is is what's in it for them or what's in it for me. In the what's in it for them, we're thinking about how the message is going to land on the individual, but also when they receive our message, what are the likely things they're going to be thinking about first? The likelihood is that they'll be thinking about how it impacts them, how it impacts their colleagues, the organisation, but they'll usually start with themselves and then kind of go out almost like a ripple effect to understand really the implications and the impact of this change or whatever it is that's being communicated. So in terms of the message, I encourage leaders to really think again in a full perspective. It's a bit like 
turning over rocks and making sure that we've turned over all the rocks. If you're looking for something perhaps underneath a rock, maybe you're looking for a key underneath a rock. It's making sure that you're looking under all the rocks because you could miss one and that's the rock where the key may be. So when you're thinking about your messages, make sure you've turned over all the rocks. Think about it in a very, very deep and lateral way, so broad and deep. What are the messages that I need to be communicating? Often when I'm creating communication, I'll actually start with a list of frequently asked questions. And so I'll have maybe my, you know, half a dozen points that I want to get across, but then I'll, I'll start jotting down or typing, whatever the mode is, but I'll start thinking about what could be the frequently asked questions. And when I do that, it's a form of empathy mapping because I'm effectively putting myself in the other person's shoes and having to think about what they may be thinking about. That can really help to ensure that your message is deep and broad, and it includes all the aspects that your audience is going to want to know about, not just what you need to convey in your message. And then finally, the mode. So what mode are we relying upon to convey this message? Is it email? Is it a virtual video conference? Is it a phone call? Is it a face-to-face? If it is face-to-face, is it a formal meeting or is it an informal walk and talk? Whatever it may be, and there are many, many modes now, lots of communication channels that we can use, but we shouldn't scrimp on the thinking around the mode because that can really set the scene for how the person is going to receive the message that you're intending to give. So in high-impact communication, we're thinking about audience, we're thinking about our message, and we're thinking about our mode. And that is absolutely a fundamental aspect of the leader as coach. When a leader is moving into that coaching style or mode, one thing they absolutely should rely upon is that high-impact communication. Thank you for tuning in for this week's podcast. I've enjoyed spending some time with you and I look forward to seeing you again next time. Bye for now. Thank you.